Welcome to Polycast. I'm your host, Davey Drones, and on this show, I explore the lives of Cal Poly students, faculty, and alumni who share their stories and experiences. My guest today is Katarina Axelson, the owner of a new company on the Central Coast called Tastry. Starting from a chemistry degree at Cal Poly, Kat has become a full-fledged entrepreneur and through her company has taught a computer how to taste. The goal is to better understand the chemistry in every wine bottle and cater to the taste desires of customers. Please welcome my guest Katarina here on Polycast. Welcome, Kat. Thank you so much for coming on to Polycast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Definitely. And so there's lots to explore, but to start off, just go ahead, give us a little background about yourself. Okay. Um, so I went to Cal Poly and I took a bunch of wine classes, um, but I was a chemistry major and I kind of just want to get into the story because it is really? kind of about me. But yeah, this was in late 2015 and... Um, I ended up going to some entrepreneurship um, club meetings, and there I met, you know, made some friends, met some people, and we ended up applying to the incubator program, um, the summer the summer program, and we got accepted. And our concept at the time was there was three of us um, was to sell a wine kit, um, like subscription box kind of thing. So like you can buy a taste of Paso or a taste of Edna Valley, you know, that sort of thing. And the first week um, at the Hot House, we were challenged to kind of iterate through this idea and figure out if this is a product people would actually want. So we went out, talked to a bunch of people. And was um, this during the accelerator program? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, during the summer. Yeah, during the summer program. So we, we talked to a bunch of wineries, talked to a bunch of people, asked them how they buy wine. Um, and after that, we started thinking, okay, um, how are we going to make these kits? How are we going to price them? It, um, you know, uh, where are we going to sell them? Um, how are we going to get wineries on board even? And I think at that point we realized um, there is a lot that goes into starting and uh, building a business. And halfway through the program, we, you know, we're still doing customer development at this time. I mean, it took our company way longer to go through the customer development process than any other company at the Hot House, I think. Um, the two other founders decided that they wanted to pursue other opportunities. So I ended up being alone for a while. I ended up bringing a few other um, team members on kind of to replace them. And we just kept doing market research and kept iterating the product. Um, I think we didn't think the wine kit idea was as compelling as we originally thought. And then at the same time, we started noticing all these problems in the wine industry and the way people purchase wine. But the wine kit wasn't quite it. Um, so, you know, for example, we know that millennials and Gen Xers, they're Gen Xers, right? Yeah. <laughs> they buy over half the wine in the U.S. And they don't 
buy wine the same way their parents did. And the wine industry is desperately trying to understand how to talk to this new shopper because, you know, um, they don't buy the same wine over and over again. They want to experiment, but they're very intimidated and overwhelmed by it. And they don't read Wine Spectator and they don't know who Robert Parker is. And I don't think they care. Um, they just want to be told that they're, the wine that they're going to buy is something that they're going to like, which is a lot to ask, um, I think. Um, but there hasn't really been a solution for that um, from our perspective. So, and, and it's actually a huge problem because, you know, just in the U.S., the wine industry, it's a $70 billion industry. And, and you know, it, launching a wine label, it's very competitive at the same time. And everyone in the wine industry is trying to figure out how to cater to this new uh, demographic and, and get up to speed. Um, so... I think we did customer development for like another year trying to figure out how on earth are we going to solve this problem. I mean, we didn't have a product for a long time. Um, you know, it's just a team of people just learning a lot about the problem with the wine industry. And at the same time, I was working as a chemist in a wine lab um, or a custom crush facility, which is where you make wine for different labels. So you, you bottle it at your facility and you make it and then um, someone else puts their label on it. And, and it's very common. And I noticed something really freaky um, and it shook me to my core. <laughs> you know? And um, it was that we would make a batch of wine and the same wine would go under two different bottles, two different labels, two different price points. And the same wine critics we found out scored the, those two same bottles differently because they, they didn't know. And I mean, no wonder wine consumers are confused um, mm -hmm. and, and don't know how to pick a wine they like. Um, so I had this hypothesis that there's potentially kind of a more transparent, objective way to recommend wine to consumers um, to get them to the product that they would actually like from the, you know, giant double-sided wine shelf with 2,000 <laughs> options in the grocery store. Um, and my hypothesis was that you could do it using chemistry. So I, I didn't tell, you know, the other team members because it was just a hypothesis at the time. Um, but I got permission from the owners to kind of be a mad scientist in the lab. <laughs> so I kind of tinkered in the lab for quite some time and... Uh, during that time, I developed this new chemistry methodology that would look at the wines, wine chemistry from a, the perspective of how a consumer would perceive the various compounds, as opposed to for quality control purposes, which is what every wine lab essentially does. Um, and then I took this data set to a computer science professor at Cal Poly. Uh, it was just supposed to be a half-hour meeting, and I was kind of getting at how do I use this data to recommend wine? Because I, I, you know, I I wanted some ideas, and this half-hour meeting ended up being a four-hour meeting. <laughs> and uh, I think he canceled his class. I, I know he brought two other professors into the room, um, and then they kind of forgot about me and started drawing diagrams on the board and arguing with each other and uh, talking about AI. And uh, long story short, um, I teamed up with uh, Professor Dektiar from Cal Poly. And together, we ended up patenting and validating the chemistry and combination of the AI technology. So 
we filed a patent in 2015 um, for uh, predicting consumer preferences for sensory-based products using chemistry. Wow. Yeah. That's so, amazing. so the hypothesis was indeed correct, and it was it was correct for not just wine, but also for beer, uh, spirits, cannabis, um, coffee, and fragrance. I mean, we're really focused on wine right now, but the, the technology is really the reason why we say that we taught a computer how to taste. Interesting. I love it. Yeah. Wow. And now before we kind of dive into things, one thing you know, I've been thinking about is, you know, you spent all this time on customer development. Like how important was that to kind of wait and hold off until you had something right rather than, you know, kind of just having something that's not completely perfect, but going all in on that? Yeah, I, I think it was... It was crucial because if we had, you know, just launched the wine kit, I don't think we would be here today. And I think it was good that we listened to the data and didn't just jump on some other product idea that wouldn't have quite made it. I think it was also just more difficult for us because we did have to come up with this new concept and we, we couldn't look at something else that was already in the market and we could say we're faster, better and cheaper than this. We didn't reinvent the wheel. Um, so I think that's another reason it took us longer. Um, we weren't building off another idea. It, it took a long time because it was indeed a new idea with a very new approach. Um, and it took us a while to get our head around that. But now you've kind of yeah. have this service product kind of, what does it look like today? Yeah. Yeah. I should, I should probably get to that. Yeah. So, um, so where was I? Oh yeah. So the first thing we did was we we made a wine recommender engine using that data. So I wanted to see if it would actually help people buy wine. So to make that easy, we installed iPads in a bunch of grocery stores across California that if you answer 10 questions, it would in 20 seconds recommend all the wines in the store for your personal palate um, using the, the AI. Um, and we saw amazing results. We saw, you know, it increased wine sales by 5%, increased wine margin by 18%, which is a benefit to the retailer. But customers scored the wines that we recommended 45% higher compared to any other method um, they would use to buy wine. Um, so, so we know we had something. Um, I can get into the technology later. It's my favorite part, but I don't, I don't want to go on a tangent, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, so, so the technology worked. Um, the you know, business model was there. So since then, we've partnered with some of the largest grocery store conglomerates in the U.S. to launch this with other brands, um, for example, on the East Coast, um, recommending wine. It's, it started as a you know, iPad because it was just easy to <laughs> penetrate, mm -hmm. but it's really an API model. Uh, API SaaS model. So um, it can be on an iPad, but it could also plug into your existing grocery store app or website or your curbside pickup app. It's really kind of like a powered by tastry model where we plug into your marketplace and then provide personalized recommendations to your shoppers. Um, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so now kind of this, yeah, technology, like they ask a bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. What are these kind of questions? Because I mean, you only have so many you can ask to then narrow it down to give yeah. them recommendations. That also took a while and it took a lot of smart people, a lot, a lot smarter than me um, to figure out. So we wanted to target people who did not have previous wine experience. So I didn't want to go and do the typical, you know, 
collaborative filtering model where we would ask, what are your 10 favorite wines? And know, if we know what your 10 favorite wines are, we're going to uh, recommend other wines similar to that. We, we couldn't do that um, because that's very difficult to ask someone that kind of question. So we started to um, use like flavor chemists and um, sensory chemist experts to create questions that are tied to the chemistry. Um, so we created a large question bank um, of questions like, how do you like coffee or dark chocolate or licorice or cherries? And depending on the grocery store shelf we're looking at, um, the AI would select the questions that would best represent that inventory. So we have a very large question bank and the questions we ask you depend on what's in the store. So it helps, helps it's optimized that way. But the core of the, this technology and how it's tied to the questions is, is what we did, what IBM and Amazon and, and Google Brain have tried to do but couldn't do um, related to consumer sensory preferences, and that is that we broke down the flavor matrix. That's why we're able to do this. So the problem everyone's been having with sensory-based products is, you know, a red wine, for example, has the compound for cherry, benzaldehyde, and every single red wine has this. But not every red wine tastes like cherry, even though it has the compound that describes the wine as tasting like cherry. And it's not because of the presence or absence of that compound. It's because of the presence and absence of all the other hundreds of compounds that are allowing benzaldehyde or cherry to be master expressed. So the AI is really good at solving that problem. So when we ask you, do you like cherry, it, we're not, ask, we're not asking um, whether or not there's compounds for cherry in that wine. We're asking what combinations of compounds are letting you experience that. Um, I don't know if I went too deep into that, but um, that's how the questions are tied to the chemistry and the user. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> wow. And so this is all kind of coming from your chemistry background. And so, you know, now looking at things, like chemistry is kind of your path and you've now taken on this whole entrepreneurial journey. What yeah. has that kind of mixture of science and business together been like? Yeah, well, first of all, I haven't done chemistry for years now. <laughs> I, there are like way smarter people at the Tastry Lab um, doing the chemistry now and constantly improving on the product and AI. Um, I would say, I would, I would say though that part of the reason this invention happened is because I wasn't a PhD in chemistry. Um, I think I had some naive assumptions, and like if I had too much education, I would have been too, um, you know indoctrinated to have come up with those naive questions that turned out to be the right answers. Um, so I will say that. But I would say since then, um, I've very much been focusing on how do we take Tastry from being this great wine recommendation engine to a uh, flavor insights company. Uh, because I see the value for consumers, um, but there is so much value for the entire wine supply chain. Um, with this data. The, I mean, this, this data that we have has never existed before, and it allows us to do crazy things like predict how a product will perform in the market before it hits the market. Uh, we've, we've done various tests with very large uh, wine manufacturers on this. Um, it allows us to help the grocery store stock shelves um, with wines that they know customers would love and buy on a store local and regional level. Um, it also helps wineries, um, through our recommendations using the AI, make products um, that will succeed better in the market for their target customer group. 
So there's a lot of applications for this technology. So the, our, our big goal now is to kind of tie this all together and benefit everyone in the supply chain and kind of create this flywheel effect of data. And then you can also, you mentioned earlier, it applies to other, like you said, coffee, yeah. beer, cannabis. Well. <laughs> yeah, wine is already an ordeal, so I think we're going to be focusing on that vertical for a while. But we have, we do have a beer recommender um, that we've launched in a few stores just, just to test out in the meantime. Wow. Yeah, and it works for you, I'm guessing, the recommendations and all for, say, wine and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> wow, and so where can people... Um, go out and see it like you, you know all these different retail stores what are some of the big ones where someone might see it today yeah so locally we're in CalFresh that's kind of our test bed for trying new features and things like that um, on the east coast we're with Ajo Del Hayes under the giant and stop and shop banners right now but they're I don't, I don't want to say too much right now okay. but there's a larger um, rollout there and then we're in Walmart in the UK um, if you're ever there. Um, yeah, and we're talking to some other large brands that I will announce later. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. And what's the timeline of this? Like how old is this company right now? Yeah, so I love this question because when, when do you call it a company? I mean, we did customer development for a year and a half to two years, and then we incorporated the company so I can get a loan for chemistry equipment. Um, and, but we started selling the actual product in, this year, um, and we're, it looks like we're going to be profitable next year. So it depends on what your definition of a company is nowadays. Um, but yeah, we incorporated in late 2015. And now with the whole chemistry side of things, like what does that team look like? And like, are they in labs doing mad scientist stuff? Or what does that kind of behind the curtain look like? Totally. As much as you can say. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's very mad scientist-y. Yeah, they, they definitely, um, we value R&D. So we're always looking at um, new ways that we could take the core innovation and create um, something great. Um, but they're also just processing a lot of wine. So there, we, we have a lot of wines in our database. And our goal by the end of 2020 is to have 15,000 wines in the database. Um, so they're also busy just testing wine. Yeah, that's wonderful. And you guys are based here in San Luis Obispo? Uh, yes, we are. Okay. And we intend to stay here. Awesome. And what does the kind of future look like? I mean, I know you kind of want to put together that whole supply mm -hmm. chain and that vertical, but what is the future of Tasty? So, so it really is to be a, a, this amazing Flavor Insights company that helps consumers buying the wine they will love and it helps retailers um, sell the wine that will sell best in their area and to help wineries make the wine that will sell well. So um, this year we launched our Insights dashboard in retail, which helps the category buyers see what products Tastry is recommending recommending in the store, um, when, um, and then we start recommending, well, these products aren't performing well, but if you replace them with these products, then your sales are going to increase this much and your customers are going to be this much happier. So we've already launched that and people are loving it. And they've never seen anything like it before. So we, we definitely had to invest in educating people about what it is that we do, which, which has been really cool. Um, and then on the other side of it, we also started selling to wineries because now the goal is to connect wineries and retailers and consumers using this insight. So um, we started selling to wineries like two months ago and we, we have 64 customers and three large distributors uh, that we're working with and they 
pay us to onboard the wine into our system. And then through that, they could see where their market of opportunity is across the U.S. So let's say they're trying to sell their wine in Boston. We might say, well, actually, you'll sell three times more wine in Florida because people are just totally going to love it. Um, one use case we had was, for example, um, one of these wine manufacturers um, over-oaked their wine and it had this barbecue flavor from the oak and they were like oh god what are we going to do we don't know who's going to you know want to drink this and we did a test and we could see that you know it will sell really well in texas <laughs> so there you go so yeah it's things like that we're really excited about and then of course there's a challenge with a you know platform as a service if that's the correct terminology to use um, to kind of have this cohesive message um, wh while we're doing it because we're one thing to customers and we're another thing to retailers and we're another thing to wineries. So 2020 is really going to be about wrapping that up and um, realizing that potential. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. And now you're mentioning kind of like all these different cities and states and even, you know, the UK, the Walmarts are using it. How does that go about, you know, trying to be able to cover all like the nation and now even looking internationally? What does that look like for me? Yeah. Yeah. So we're very fortunate to have um, several um, multinational channel partners who um, bring us these relationships. So I don't have to have a multi-million dollar on the ground sales force. Um, basically, we, we partnered with our channel partner and they... Um, can expose tastry, you know, across the country, which they have been doing, and it has been very well received, but it was of little investment on our part until it came to actually signing the contract. And I, I think that's a good strategy for us, um, because this way we can focus on what we do best, which is the recommendation technology. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Awesome. Well, this has been so cool to hear all about this. And anything else you'd like to share to the Cal Poly community? Um, so there, there is one topic, um, and I think it's appropriately timed, but I, I do want to say that we are really focused on being a profitable business and um, growing at the pace that is appropriate for a company that, that's, you know, launching a new product. Um, because of this, you know, we've recently turned down several VC offers. Um, and that was because I felt like we weren't ready for that. And on top of that, we have plenty of funding with some very amazing, prolific investors in the AI, wine, and retail space. But I thought if we went the VC route, um, it would put us in a box and it would mean that we would have to go a thousand miles an hour with maybe just one of these concepts. And I, I, I feel like we're moving really fast as it is, but I don't want to go a thousand miles an hour in the wrong direction. And it's, that's a huge risk for a new company with a new product that's never existed before. There's still a lot to learn. I mean, we have traction, but I am sure that we are going to have to iterate it again. And, and I don't want to go a thousand miles an hour until I definitely know that this is the right direction to go. Um, Definitely. And it seems like, you know, I mean, you have this plan of, you know, connecting all three of those, you know, concepts yeah. and, you know, being able to completely have that and have it working with all of them before, you know, things take off. And... Yeah. Yeah. But it's difficult to communicate sometimes mm -hmm. because it, it is a lot. And, and it, it, it's I can't just say like, oh, you know, it's like 
Uber for locksmiths or something <laughs> like that. Um, I, I can say we taught a computer how to taste, but a VC will usually look at it and say, well, why don't you just do recommendations or why don't you just do uh, work with wineries, for example. But uh, the big picture is, is that flywheel effect that helps consumers and wineries and retailers connect. Um, so it's a new business model. Um, you know, on top of that, um, I, I do want to focus on profitability, especially in light of, you know, the WeWork situation and the Uber situation and all these, you know, crappy IPOs out there. I, I don't want to be one of those companies. I, I don't want to be hemorrhaging millions of dollars a month. I, yeah, I, I just, I want to build a real business with real returns for our investors and not just kind of do the ABCDE train. Um, so yeah. And yeah, come up with this amazing network yeah. and recommendation and yeah. Yeah. So I guess I would tell the listeners that, um, you know, from what I've seen, the VC route might be great, but it's worth thinking about other options and it's not always as glamorous as you might think. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, Kat, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to check out all the other episodes of Polycast, which are available on any of the podcast platforms. This episode is brought to you by the Polycast team with special thanks to Sophie Hosbein, Daisy Kensler, and Sophia Minhas. I'm your host, Davey, and you've been listening to Polycast. Mm-hmm.